Buenas tardes, or good morning to all of the non-French speakers out there. It isn't a good morning though. Why, you ask? I have recently discovered that the bane of my existence, the little rock that is inside of your shoe, and no matter how many times you take off your shoe and shake it, you can't seem to get rid of kind of pain. I'm talking about Arby's. Was founded in Ohio. How about that? Was Ohio the only state that existed back in the 50s and 60s? I feel like every article I read about the business and products all circles back to Ohio. So shout out Ohio, but boo Arby's. I was reading about Arby's because I missed out on the last episode on speaking about how much I dislike Arby's, but was unfortunately thwarted in this venture as Arby's revenue has actually increased slightly each of the past three years, and that's over the pandemic. A fun fact I did learn about Arby's is that Arby's, the R and the B, does not stand for roast beef as many people believe it to be, but it in fact stands for the Raffle Brothers who founded it. That's a fun fact for the day. That's enough complimentary Arby's talk though. The point still stands that it is just worse than nearly every other fast food chain. It remains the little brother to all the big dogs such as Wendy's. There's a period of time where Arby's wasn't even a standalone. It was part of the Wendy's Arby's group and they couldn't even get their name to come first. But maybe instead of figuring out whose name is going to come first with their former partnership with Wendy's, Arby's should figure out their data security. A 2019 settlement is paying out over $2 million to certain Arby's customers who made the mistake of trying to get a Jamocha shake from October 2016 to January 2017. Anyways, I've already spent too much time on Arby's today, so let's move on to happier topics. Any complaints, I'd refer you to a plumber or maybe a lawyer. Welcome to episode four of I Know What You're Thinking. Picture this, the year is 2009. You're at the winter holiday dance. We, of course, are set in your school's cafeteria. That was dressed up to be the winter theme, so they just put up a Christmas tree in the corner and there's maybe three or four snowflakes scattered throughout the room. It smells like Axe cologne and other scents you probably don't wanna think too much about. You're dancing with your date that you only asked because their best friends swore they liked you. And by dancing, I mean keeping enough room between you that two movers in a truck could squeeze by. So we're here, you and me, well, not together, and unless that's what you're picturing, in which case, I'm game. What song do you hear playing a little too loudly through the speakers? For me, while there's technically many options, one song that I feel encapsulates the middle school dance feelings is Fire Burning. It seemed to me then, and it still does now, that our DJs only knew how to play three, four songs. Those songs were bops, it's just funny that we heard the same three, four on repeat. We'd get Boom Boom Pow, Poker Face, Right Round, Heartless, and Fire Burning. That could be a credit because the DJs were likely just a poor teacher who had to be both the chaperone as well as the master of music. All this to say, I've heard Fire Burning more times than any one person should, and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Fire Burning by Sean Kingston certainly had an impact on me in the form of scarring me indefinitely. But this got me thinking, what happened to Sean Kingston? Which then led me to the question of, where did Sean Kingston come from? Which finally led me to the question I wish to present to you today, Sean Kingston or Sean from Kingston? AKA Sean Paul Ryan Francis Enriquez. Which of these artists would you pick? Either from the most popular songs, cultural impact, or maybe even who would win if they squared up in the more popular celebrity boxing matches that are happening these days. Let's start with Mr. Kingston himself. Born in 1990, Kissing Paul Anderson was born in Miami, Florida, but moved back and forth from Jamaica to the US in his childhood. He was discovered in 2007 by a record label Beluga Heights, who said of Kingston, quote, he was a rapper when we found him and it was a development process to get him to be more melodic. At Beluga, we essentially refine talent, so it's more of a marketable product. It didn't take long for Kingston to find success, as his 2007 single, Beautiful Girls, was released when Sean was only 17 years old and peaked at number 17 on the Hot 100. It debuted with over 260,000 downloads in its first week and was second only to Rihanna's umbrella in a digital sales for the year. 
Sean also became the first artist born after 1990 to top the Hot 100. Beautiful Girls went on to be featured in Cloverfield, Hustles, and Gossip Girl. This song put Kingston on the map and even allowed him to be the opening acts for Gwen Stefani and Beyonce. Kingston continued his rise to stardom with two singles that featured a few people you may have heard of. Speaking about the 2010 single, Eeny Meeny, featuring a small up-and-comer Justin Bieber, and Duddy Love, featuring Nicki Minaj, Kingston came out and said of Duddy Love, quote, I've never felt so good about any of my songs since Beautiful Girls, but trust me when I tell you, Duddy Love is a hit. The record did go platinum with 1.1 million sales, but Kingston's big splash of 2010 came when he was chosen to represent both North and South America to sing the official theme song of the Singapore 2010 Youth Olympics. And what seems to be foreshadowing, unfortunately Sean couldn't even perform at those Youth Olympics because of an alleged passport mix-up, which was rumored to be closer to be a dispute over the payment that he was going to receive for said Youth Olympics. In a tease, and perhaps one of the most confusing parts of the Sean Kingston saga, is his relationship with Justin Bieber. After releasing Eeny Meeny together in 2010, Kingston and Bieber formed a relationship where Kingston would perform with Bieber sometimes, and together the two teen stars collaborated to create a mixtape titled Our World. While the album was teased and Kingston even previewed some of the songs for his fans, that album has never seen the light of day. Even today, we still don't know what happened to that album. The close calls for Sean Kingston fans didn't stop with the non-release of Our World, as Sean Kingston had a close call with death in June of 2010. According to a police report around the incident, Kingston's inexperience and inattention caused Sean to crash his new jet ski into a bridge in Miami Beach. He seemed to turn the craft while releasing the throttle, and I don't really know jet skis, but that seems like a bad idea, which threw him and his female passenger off balance. The impact, this is wild, the impact of the crash left imprints on Kingston's head, arms, and upper chest into the cement bridge. He was fined $180 for the incident. It is important to note that Sean Kingston did not die from this incident, which was semi-rumored at the time. More on this at the end. Then, continuing the trend of not following through with his promises, in 2013, Kingston tweeted pictures of him and Zendaya working on a song called Heart on Empty, of which Kingston said, quote, it is a soulful ballad that you all will be sure to remember. Well, Sean, we are still waiting for this ballad, so it is not one that we can really remember. And since 2013, Sean has been kind of quiet. He posted a few snippets of music in 2015 and was featured on a few songs. He had a 2019 single piece of mine with Tory Lanez, where I think he may have sang or rapped less than four bars through the entire five minute song. Although, and something that I'll come back to later, Kingston did announce the creation of the PRBL in 2020, which stands for the Professional Rapper Boxing League. To my knowledge, no one has actually signed up to fight or fought in this league. I'd like to chalk that up to COVID, but using Kingston's prior flaky personality, who knows if we will ever get to see Riff Raff, Soldier Boy, and Trippy Red duke it out. Alright, that's Sean Kingston. Let's meet our next contestant vying for your attention. Let's focus on Sean from Kingston, aka Sean Paul Ryan Francis Enriquez, better known simply as Sean Paul. With chart toppers such as Temperature and Get Busy, if you don't know them by their titles, I'd recommend looking them up on your preferred music streaming software. I promise you know them. Or at least you've heard them. While the other Sean has never been nominated for a Grammy, Sean Paul has not only been nominated for the best reggae album, but his 2002 masterpiece, Duddy Rock, has actually taken home the award. Sean Paul was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and actually didn't turn to music until he was 21. What was he doing up until his 21st birthday, you ask? I know what you're thinking. Say it with me. Water librarian. Polo. 
What was that? I said librarian. Water polo is the answer Wait, I was looking for. Guess. But Paul just wasn't your regular athlete. Oh no. This future superstar actually played for the national water polo team of Jamaica before recognizing his talent in the music industry and switching over. Sean Paul specializes in specific genre of dance hall and bringing that Jamaican reggae sound to audiences worldwide. Now, while obviously most of you listening to this will know that the dance hall genre originated in the 1970s and was named after the music halls that popular music was played in, you may not know that the dancehall genre is politically influenced and was formed as a way to bring the people music that they actually wanted to listen to with lyrics about social upheaval, even if the mainstream radio was more conservative in its tunes. The public forum that dancehall genre brought, aka the gathering of people to listen to an artist's newest hits that may never be aired over the radio as aforementioned by the conservative tunes, or even people didn't own radios, which is why they couldn't listen to the music, gave rise to some of the original DJs and toasting. The act of toasting, at least when referring to Jamaican music and not when someone puts up their glass and clinks a spoon, is when somebody talks or chants over a reggae beat. It was developed originally by Count Machuki, who would do anything from comedy, commentary, chants, squeals, or storytelling during these toasts. Another thing that this clash between entertainment and music brought was something called sound clashes which basically were, imagine underground rap battles, except instead of rapping, it was two DJs DJing off against each other, if that makes any sense. There's recordings of these battles called Sound Clash Cassettes, which are for sale online. As with all forms of music and culture, the whole genre began to shift and evolve as younger artists came and left their imprint on the music. The most prominent of these artists was, you guessed it, Sean Paul. Said of the new wave of dancehall, quote, if the 1970s reggae was red, green, and gold, then the next decade it was gold chains. Unlike the earlier dancehall artists, this new era ushered in by Paul was characterized by ideas that American audiences would recognize, such as repeated choruses, melodic tunes, hooks, the lyrics were slightly cleaner, and there was just overall less profanity. In an editor's note here, I briefly mentioned the culture of dance halls and then moved on because this is more about Sean Paul than it is dance hall culture, but I wanted to acknowledge that there is so much about this genre and space that there's no way I could sum it up in a two, three segment on this little show thing. So from my brief dive into the genre, it seems that there's so much intersection and topics to cover between how the dancehall genre impacts women empowerment, lower class cultural production, as well as some of its darker side, such as its impact on hypermasculinity, violent imagery, and some of its homophobic lyrics. I think it's something that I might have to come back to and revisit after doing some more reading and learning. Anyways, back to the regular show. So. Sean Paul is a part of the new generation of the dancehall genre. He helps usher in not only the new era to the people of Jamaica, but the worldwide audience at large. Said Paul of his career, quote, I remember being a bathtub singer. You know the type that sings and everyone says, shut up? You know, I know personally I haven't related to anything more outside of not realizing that everyone thinks Arby's is just not that great. I cannot understand how for the life of me, and I was talking about this with the Columbus crew, shout out to those guys last night, and even among that group, we had more Arby supporters than I thought. So Paul, I understand what you mean when people say you shouldn't sing because I get that all the time. After winning a Grammy in 2004 with Duddy Rock, Sean Paul could have retired in peace, but not this man. By 2009, he'd pumped out two more albums in the Trinity and Imperial Blaze. If you need any more evidence of the cultural impact that Sean Paul had, the music video for Give Up To Me off the Trinity was featured in a 2006 movie, which worldwide had grossed over $114 million featuring Channing Tatum and Jenna Dewan. Dewan? I'm not sure how to say that. Obviously, talking about the great movies franchise Step Up. 
of which true fans don't even consider either Step Up Revolution or Step Up All In a part of. As far as I'm concerned, the series ended it after Step Up 3D, which was released in 2010. Unlike the Step Up franchise and his counterpart for this episode, Sean Kingston, as far as I'm concerned, Sean Paul did not stop in 2010. This man went on to release Tomahawk Technique, Full Frequency, both of which were nominated for Best Reggae Albums at the Grammys, as well as Mad Love the Prequel in 2016. In 2019, as if Paul's career wasn't impressive enough, he was awarded the Order of Distinction from the Jamaican government for contribution to the global popularity and promotion of reggae music. To date, there have only been 21 other musicians who have earned this honor, so it's kind of a big deal. There are two grades to this award, the Officer of Distinction and the Commander of Distinction. Of course, Commander is the higher distinction, and of course, my guy Sean Paul received it. Let's go back and recap, to go back to the original question. For the sake of this argument, I'll call them Sean A and Sean B, as to not have people get biased. Let's look at Sean A first. Sean A, eight-time Grammy-nominated artist, released countless hits spanning over two decades, and at the time of recording, he actually just released a new single today, and I'd recommend going to check it out. And even has an acting credit to his name in a movie called Belly, which may have gotten a 16% Rotten Tomatoes score, but has earned itself a cult following. I've only watched a little bit of it, but I'm planning on watching the rest, so stay tuned for a full Belly review soon. Sean A is also married, has two kids, and he comes in around 5'8", 165. Sean B, never nominated for a Grammy, nearly died in a jet ski accident, and when asked about his recovery said, quote, I was on Percocet, I don't take it no mo though, I don't have any more pain, which is a good sign for him. Sean B found early success with his surprising friendship with another teen star, but in recent years has been distanced from that friendship as he and his mom allegedly keep defaulting on payments to Rolls-Royce rental companies. Also, he has made maybe one song in 10 years. He clocks in at 6'2", 255. So if I need someone to box for me, I pick Sean B. I want someone to write a smash hit. I think I even still go Sean B. I want someone to change culture and bring awareness to a relatively niche genre of music found in the early 1970s. Sean A all the way. Do I want a Justin Timberlake type artist who can sing and act? I'm gonna go with Sean A. Do I want someone who can't operate a jet ski? Sean B is my guy. Do I want someone whose nation awarded him a literal medal, not a figurative one, for his service to their community? We're going with Sean A. With the score tied three to three, Let's see what some of our valued listeners have to say. One of our listeners and the host of the Fame Still Eligible podcast at Still Eligible on all social media if you want to follow him, check him out. Jack Srail thought that Sean B died in a jet ski accident that I referred to until three weeks ago. You'd really hate to see it. That's not a good sign. On the other hand, a one Miss Lorelei Ritzert, your guess is as good as mine on how to spell that, said of Sean A, quote, he gets the people going. Of course, Sean B is Sean Kingston, and Sean A is Sean Paul. There's really not much else to say, but if you disagree with me, let me know. I'd love to hear what I'm not seeing about Sean Kingston's glorious career and why he is an overall better pick than Sean Paul. I'm learning as I do these. I'm simply in just the minority for every single opinion I have, so I'd love to hear why I'm wrong on this one. I just cannot, I cannot understand it. Again, this is Ben Worski. You can find me on all social media at The Ben Zone. And I really would love to hear any comments, complaints, concerns, or if you have any dance videos or singing videos of either of the Sean's, send them my way. I'll repost them. We can all dance to fire burning. Beautiful girls, eeny meeny, et cetera, et cetera. And also I'd like to plug that I'm trying to make some money off this. So if anyone would like to sponsor the podcast, slide in my DMs, we can work something out. I have some ideas. I'm really thinking it'd be a small investment at first, maybe five to $10 and you'd get a 
lot of sponsorship. I just reach out and we can we can make some magic happen. I'd also like to read out our review of the week, um, and that goes out to a person who said, five-star review, appreciate the quirky opinions, the research within the show, but particularly the topics that are worth 15 minutes of your day. It's easy to listen to, makes you think, and yes, it's funny. Don't just listen, subscribe. You heard Boomer1985. If you want to be featured on future episodes, make sure to leave a review. This has been episode four of I Know What You're Thinking, and I'll talk to you next time.